God, thank you so much for uh, the privilege we have tonight of just opening up your word and, and reminding ourselves of the journeys of Paul, where dad has just been uh, halfway across the world. Uh, Lord, what an incredible uh, servant of God as we consider Paul's missionary journeys. Um, God, even as my brother came a few weeks ago, we got next, we got now. And so, God, I pray that tonight wouldn't just be information. I pray it would be transformation. And God, I pray that it would also be commission, uh, that we would consider our own journeys uh, that that you've called us to in in lifting high your name. And so challenge us tonight. Speak Holy Spirit through your servant, my dad, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks, Rob. It is just so great to see you guys. It really is, man. And just love you. And so happy to be here with you. Obviously, I'm just uh, just delighted to be with Rob and Annabeth and with my grandkids. And uh, my wife, Karen, otherwise known as Ducky. Only reason she's not here is we've just got back from overseas. We were gone for nearly five weeks. And uh, so she just needed to catch her breath. And her mother's 95, Rob's grandmother. And so giving Nana a little bit of attention is very important too. And, uh, and then we leave again on October the 9th and we'll be in Africa for, I'll be teaching, preaching across Africa for five weeks. Um, so we'll, we'll be hitting the road again. And uh, so I'm just telling you why the better part of my life and I'm not going to argue with my son uh, about my duckling, not even for one minute. But uh, I just love her, and, and uh, it's just a joy. Thank you for letting me be here, Rob. And I, you know, Rob may be my son, but I, I take uh, just the greatest honor and privilege that, that he would ask me to come and speak to you because I know how much he loves you and how much he does. He just so much, and to be able to come and share with you. So thank you a thousand times over. You know, I was just kind of chuckling to myself, Rob, because um, the Acts of the Apostles, and I've been, I listened to so many of Rob's messages, especially, you know, when I was overseas recently, we just tune in and listen online, you know, and get so blessed. I heard Greg, my other son, uh, sharing the word with you some weeks ago. And, uh, you know, you think about the Acts of the Apostles, this, the book of Acts, and Rob's been preaching in that for a year and a half. And, uh, you know, here I am standing up talking to you about something that in this vintage took a year and a half and you didn't scratch the surface. Um, So just think about that for a minute. My purpose tonight is not to try and go through and preach and teach everything about Paul's journeys that you just couldn't do that. But I've got some exciting stuff to show you. So I just want to preface my remarks by saying something that many of you will identify. I've, I've had the privilege of, um, for years of doing a lot of uh, travel overseas. So I'm one of those people and Rob, when Rob and Greg and Shelley were growing up, they they had wheels on. I mean, we were everywhere from Australia to Africa and Europe. Well, it's never stopped in my life. That's part of my life. Even though I pastored First Baptist Spartanburg for 30 years and 
all my work with uh, Dr. Billy Graham and so on. Why am I telling you all of this? I have been to some great places, you know, and uh, I love coming to Pittsburgh. You say, Pittsburgh, that's where, man, you guys got no idea how beautiful this place is, especially now. Um, probably in the winter time, it takes on a, its own beauty in a different way. But man, it's just a magnificent place. I mean, the, the green grass and the colors of the leaves and the layout, just fantastic. I've been, like some of you, I've been to some unbelievable, I could sit here and tell you some stories, man, about China and Mongolia and Asia and, you know, Australia and all over Africa and the Middle East. And I can keep telling you like a tour agent, you know, talking about fantastic places. But there are two places that I cannot describe to you. Get a hold of my heart. It, it's like I can be with people all over the world. But the person I want to be with most of all is my wife. Because I love her so much, you know? She's my, she's my heart and soul. She's my duckling, you know? And we've been married nearly 50 years, and we're more in love today than we were when we began. You know, how does that happen? Well, there are two places that just get under, into my soul spirit. And number one is Israel. Most of you know I have led teaching trips over there. This year I'll go December 28th will be my 43rd time. Just think about that. 43 times I have gone and taught, had the best fun in the world, uh, all over Israel. And, and you can go to Israel today with me and, and with Rob, and you can go there and sometimes be standing in the desert, you know, you're in the desert. You're in the Judean wilderness. They're kind of rocks and nothing around you but a bunch of camels. And it gets into your soul spirit. Can't describe it. It's because I love Jesus. And that's, that's the land where Jesus walked. And you know, I, I just have... Scores of people just keep wanting to go back and back and back. I've taken thousands of people over there. Next year, I'm going three times. December 28th, March 14th, December the 4th. Going back three times. Because I've left, I've left the church now. I've got a little more time to do some of these things. All right. So why am I saying Israel? I'm saying to you, it is, it, it is amazing how that gets into my soul spirit and everybody that I take. The second place that gets into my soul spirit is the journeys of Paul. I've just got back. So I'm as fresh as a daisy on this. I've been over there many times. 
And I have led tours following Paul's footsteps. So I'm about to share with you some real stuff about a real person who had a real encounter with the real Lord Jesus Christ and for real was never the same again. And died a real death because he loved Jesus. I've, I've experienced this. Let me tell you, when a man or a woman gives their heart and life to Jesus, they're never the same again. Never. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this kind of, what, what in the world are you doing here tonight? You had nothing better to do on a Thursday night? Can I, can I tell you why you're here? I'm, I'm being very simplistic. I, I think you're here tonight because Jesus. Just there's something. Can't, you can explain it, but you also, you know, you just is it. Because he makes all the difference. So... This man, Paul, who was a blasphemer, I mean, this guy was one seriously bad person, persecuted the church, and we know all that story. Acts chapter 9 tells us about it, was on a journey. I mean, this guy was breathing threatenings and slaughters against Jesus. And what happens to him? Inexplicably, he just walks into the very face of Jesus. He encounters the living Lord Jesus. And God not only saves him, get this, saves him from his sin, forgives him. <laughs> this took some forgiving. By the way, this guy was a murderer. People don't often say that. Paul was responsible for the execution of hundreds of believers. Eh? Paul was the worst kind of person you can find on the Jesus forgave him but then not only that Jesus not only saved him and forgave him Jesus touched him on the shoulder and said to him Paul I want you to head out and I want you to take this gospel of Jesus the same life transforming message that has changed you, the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus. And I want you to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the whole wide world, which is the Great Commission. And I want you to tell people about Jesus. And I want you to establish Groups of people, believers like this, so that they can gather together and love on one another and teach one another and listen to pastors and teachers and fellow ministers. They can worship in song like that. They can grow up and be blessed, iron sharpening iron. I want you to establish churches and raise up spiritual leaders 
And I want you to see what a difference Christ Jesus makes from one community to the next. So, by the way, I have in my hand, my son let me use this as a pointer, just in case some of you are struggling. That is a cricket bat. A small version. It's a little, uh, you know, like a tourism thing you'd buy. So this has nothing to do with the price of eggs, but that's what I grew up playing. Forget the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and I came to understand when I came to the U.S. 45 years ago that in America, Americans fish with crickets. We played cricket. Anyway, it's another story. So this, thanks to Rob, is my pointer, okay? So I'm, I'm going to kind of go between, between these two maps. But here's what I want to do tonight, okay? All right? I want to, because I've just been to most of these places. Not all of them. I mean, that would have taken me a long time. But... I've, I've just been to a lot of these places. I've just preached in a, in a lot of these places, just like last week <laughs> and the week before and the week before. I've been gone for four weeks, okay? And I took a lot of people with me, and heaven came down. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So Paul had three Mission journeys, one, two, and three. You all know this because that's what you've been going through. So God calls him and he sends him on one, then two, then three. He actually had a fourth one, but his fourth one was his second to last one. Because I'm going to show you some stuff that not a lot of people talk about. Okay? His fourth journey was his final journey to Rome. And I'm going to show you some stuff that's really interesting about that. I'll get to it in just a little while. So what I'm going to do here is you've got the map and... I'm, I'm not trying to, nor could I, <laughs> go to every town and village here, guys. Otherwise, we'd be here until the cows come home. And I know there are cows around here because I've seen them. All right? All right. So, Paul, Paul, of course, was, was born. See Tarsus over there? That's where Paul was born, and uh, which is actually in in the edge of Syria and Turkey today, uh, Rob's sister, my daughter, Shelley, all right? She lives in Amman, Jordan. There's Damascus, where there's a lot of problems in Syria right now. And I take our people right up here into the Golan Heights, which is fantastic. By the way, Going to Israel is the safest trip you'll ever do in your entire life. You won't do any trip safer than going to Israel. Sounds crazy. But the Arabs and the Israelis have a vested interest in tourism. That's why you never hear of Americans ever getting hurt. 
You ever thought about that? The Arabs love us and the Israelis love us. <laughs> I like that. I like it. In fact, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm getting off track here, but I'm going to tell you the Palestinians treat you even better than the Israelis do. They are the most hospitable people on the face of the earth. Shelley, Rob's sister, lives here in Amman, Jordan. See the Jordan River? Amman, Jordan is right opposite Jerusalem. So there's Jerusalem. Amman, Jordan is right about there. When you stand in Amman, you can look at Jerusalem right across the valley here. This is the Jordan Rift Valley. There's the Dead Sea. And you can see Jerusalem from Jordan. All right? any rate, so Shelley is in humanitarian work. And as we speak to you right now, as I speak to you right now, Shelley is going into this part of Syria. She works in humanitarian work. Paul was very acquainted with this time. And his home church was up here in Antioch of Syria. See the word Antioch there? That was Paul's home church. And if you go back into the book of Acts, starting in chapter 13, that's where it all started. It started in his home church among his home people. So guys, I'm going to tell you right now. God is speaking to you. Now, he did last Sunday, didn't he? And the Sunday before. Not just because this is your home church, but because God has something to say through the New Testament church to God's people, because the New Testament church was started, formed, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You won't destroy the church. Mankind won't do that. What we're seeing here today is God's plan. And everything about Paul began in the church. So guys, well done. Thank you for being here tonight, even on a Thursday night. Even with rain, even balancing family, even getting out of work, and uh, even maybe being tired, even not necessarily having the... But thank you for being here. Well done. Because you are positioning yourself. Don't have a heart attack. You are positioning yourself for God to put a call on your life. It's a humdinger. It's a humdinger. He's going to ring your bell. And he's not going to call most of you, most people he doesn't call to go on missionary journeys. Most people he doesn't call to be pastors and ministers. Most people. Otherwise, all of us would be pastors of churches. We'd be missionaries. God doesn't do that. God calls us to be 100% what he wants us to be right where we're at. in our homes, in our lives. So Paul started out here in Antioch on his first missionary journey, 
And he jumped aboard a ship and he went down here to Cyprus. Cyprus is quite an island. And uh, if you've been there, it's quite a place. And he skirted around the edge of Cyprus, had some incredible experiences here, for example, at Paphos. And you, you'll notice something when you get to Paphos that the evil is so palpable. And, and he ran into evil right away and he recognized it and he, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, called it what it was. He said, you son of the devil. I just, this is just like an aside, an aside here, because this is a picture of today. Ask God to help you to recognize what's not pleasing to the Lord and to name it what it is. Don't embrace it. Just name it. You know what? God says that's wrong. It's like those of us, those of you that have children, you bring up your, one of the greatest things you can do with your children is to teach them the difference between right and you bring up your children saying, man, everything's like neither here nor there. You got a real problem. And all our marching orders come from God's word. So he sails around the island of Cyprus here. And he, he ends up coming up here into Asia, which you and I today, this area here really is modern day Turkey. Right? And this here is Asia going up into Asia Minor. And he goes straight up this area to the other Antioch. See Antioch where his home church is? This is called Antioch Pisidian in Asia. And he encounters people there. Every time he goes there, he goes into the synagogues and he begins to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and tell them. And every place he goes to, when he leaves Antioch, he goes down to Lystra, Iconium, and Derby. And there are events and happenings and people and opposition and everything you and I know about sharing Jesus takes place in Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, and he turns around, he goes back to Pisidian Antioch, makes his way all the way back down here to the coast, gets on his ship, and he sails from Italia all the way back through Seleucia to Antioch. And when he gets to Antioch, he goes and he stands, he says, hey, church, I'm so happy to be back. You sent me out, and here's what God has been doing. Why did he do that? Because sending and going are both critically important in God's economy. Both the senders and the goers. You're part of it. He, he wanted us to know right at the beginning. Whether you go, whether you stay, if you're part of God's church, you're it. 
And I want to thank you for that. You know, I'm one of those people, like your pastor, but I'm one of those people that I, I have the capacity and the ability to go. So I go and I share the gospel all over the place. But man, I couldn't do that without those who pray for me and those who support me and those who encourage me. There is nothing more important than the two sides of the same coin in God's economy. And guys, if you're a sender, up the antenna of your encouragement of the goers. And Paul came back from his first missionary journey, and when he did... He went to Antioch, back to his home people. I'd love to be in a fly on the wall when he walked in there and he said, man, let me tell you about this boat ride, man. By the way, can you imagine the boat ride that he was on? I bet he didn't even have a balcony in his room, you know. <laughs> I mean, guys, some of those boats were rinky, man. And when you look, when you look, by the way, his first missionary journey was about 2,400 miles altogether, just giving you an idea of length, okay? Now, you and I say, oh, 2,400 miles, man. I'd drive from here to there and back and straight. But in those days, <laughs> that was a, a pretty, that's a pretty rough ride, man. And they used to try and hug the coastlines. That's why he headed straight for Salamis where he had that encounter with Elymas that's why he hugged the coast of Cyprus. That's why he shot across there. And by the way, when we get to his last journey going up to Rome, man, you talk about shipwrecks and landing in this place and the wind and the waves and everything else. I was right here just a week ago on the island of Crete. I was about right there, preaching right there. And this huge wind began to blow. And I'm telling you, it was like serious wind, eh? Serious wind. I mean, we were standing. I got a picture of Rob's mother with her hair standing at an angle like this. <laughs> I mean, it was, this is, this is like gale force wind. Well, it came up and it blew and it blew and uh, didn't affect any of us. But man, that wind was howling. Well, you know what it was. It was the same wind that was circling around here and it eventually hit this coastline. This is the coast of Libya. Remember Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus? Cyrenica, Cyrene, he, that's where he came from. Simon of Cyrene, all right? This is the coast of Libya. By the way, right here is Benghazi. Remember all the stuff with Benghazi and our country and the embassy and the killing of the ambassador and all the hoopla about that in the U.S.? Benghazi. This storm that we were feeling here and up in Greece was the same storm that hit a little town called Derma right here next to Benghazi right now. As I speak to you, they believe the death toll has gone over 25,000 people. 
have been killed by the water that came in here, dams burst, whole villages were wiped out. Pray for the people of Libya. That is a war ever since Muammar Gaddafi uh, was killed, the dictator there, the place has been in absolute chaos. And their abject poverty and everything was fake. Why am I telling you all of this, guys? Storms around here, this is what Paul encountered. What I want to say to you, it doesn't matter what storms you encounter. Don't ever step down and back on your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. Weather the storm. <laughs> All right? Can, can I put it in, in modern day New Orleans terminology? Hang in there. Hang in there. I didn't tell Rob this, but uh, I was in New Orleans. I was actually teaching there this week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I went to chapel and a New Orleans saint was there, Jamie Hurst, I think his name is. I mean, this guy looks like a tree trunk. I mean, he is one big dude. I'm just telling you, man. And uh, in rate, he was there and he greeted me because I'd met him thanks to Rob and Greg once before. Just a lovely guy, loves the Lord. And I said, I said, hang in there. I said, I said, next week, go do it, man. That's my little contribution to the saints. <laughs> Go do it, man. You know? Go do it. In other words, a little storm came through and the Packers came and beat you after being up 17. And I had two friends at the game and all the rest of it. And I go tell him, listen, man, I know the Saints lost by a point last week. Now go do it. So wait a minute now, guys. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting off track. How are you doing right now? What storm is blowing through your ship? Be determined, man, to reach the shoreline. Persevere. Don't stop. God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. All right. Okay. So he comes all the way back here. When he gets back to Antioch, he takes a quick trip down to Jerusalem because everybody's getting into a total stew over the gospel. And he goes to what's called the Jerusalem Council. He gets all the apostles together and, and, and they say, look, what have we got to tell everybody? And the council, the head council of the church back in his day in Jerusalem said, listen, we've settled this one thing for all. You know what they settled? Jesus loves all people. Jesus died for all people. Watch this, guys. Watch this. This is what they settled at the Jerusalem Council. When Jesus went to the cross, he leveled the playing field. Jesus has no social order, no culture, no color. He doesn't have money in his eyes, business perspective, nationalities. <laughs> he loves all people. He died for all people. And in the sight of God, all people are 100% worthy, magnificent, because God created 
all people in his image. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's the Jerusalem council. And listen, the Jews were kind of like strutting around, you know. You know why? You know why? And I'm not down on the Jews, guys, but the Jews coming out of the Old Testament, they had some strutting to do because they said, no, 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 no. We are the ones, man. And we do it right. And we follow the law and we do all these things. And we stand up and we sit down at the right place and we offer the right sacrifices. And this gospel is only for the Jew. But Jesus Christ came and died on the cross so that all people might know him and be forgiven and set free. Isn't that fantastic? I love it. That's what I love about being a Christian, man. Guys, on October the 9th, I know I was born in Africa. I was born and raised in Africa. October the 9th, I get on a plane, fly 17 hours, one flight. I'm meeting with African people, my people, all over the place, preaching, teaching. I won't be in America. And you know what? The message that I preach (laughs) will be exactly the same. I'm sorry, second verse, the same as the first. (laughs) Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Huh? That's what, that's what I'm going to be about, Jesus. So, guys, this thing, the Jerusalem council was critical. So Paul, in his second missionary journey, he goes back now, reinforced, reinvigorated, and he takes off on his second missionary journey. Okay, watch this now. Okay, this is fantastic. So he leaves here from Antioch again. And he goes through Cilicia. He goes to some of the places he's been like Derby, Lystra, Iconium. And then he goes all the way across here to this place called Troas. And when he's right up here on the coast of the Aegean Sea, all right, in Troas, I've been up there. Listen, it's an amazing place. When he gets to Troas here, he says, man, i tell you what I'm going to do. I want to go up into this area of Bithynia. That's where I'm going next. He says, man, I'll tell you what I'm doing. He said, I'm going to go and share the gospel in Bithynia. And God gives him a vision. It's called the Macedonian call. Why Macedonia? Because this is Macedonia. See Macedonia written up here? Macedonia, by the way, is the fancy word for Greece. A Macedonian is a Greek person of extraction, all right? So what happens? The Spirit of God says to him, no, God doesn't want you to go to Bithynia. God wants you to come over to Macedonia. By the way, guys, always ask God what he wants you to do next and where he wants you to go. And when he tells you, do it. Always ask God. Ask God where he wants you to study, where he wants you to live, which house he wants you to buy. (laughs) Here's a tough one. Who he wants you to marry, who he wants you to date. When all, I mean, where do you stop? Ask God, Lord, I need to know. 
I wish I had time to tell you how to know. But God will open your heart, I promise you. And when he does, do it. So what did Paul do? He did it. Now, guys, stick with me. This is fantastic. So he gets in a boat here in Troas, and he wiggle-waggles his way across. He lands at uh, Neapolis. He ends up there at Philippi. You heard of the Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians. That's the letter that he wrote to the believers here when he was under house arrest in Rome at the end of his life because he was in chains. But it's a letter of joy. And when you study the makeup of Philippi, you see people like Lydia that he met in Philippi. She was a wonderful lady. And she gave her life to Christ and other people gave their lives to Christ. And she was so hospitable and she took him in and she fed him biscuits and gravy or whatever it was they made those days. Gave him a plate of spaghetti. She just loved. Can I, can I just stop? Can I just say something right here? Because God's word tells us, guys, thank you for being hospitable. Thank you for being welcoming and hospitable. It's a beautiful thing. You know, bro, thank, thank you for just walking in here and giving me a hug, man. You know what that means to me? Thank you. you t- I can't remember everybody. Thank you. Th- thanks for just being sweet to me when I walked in here. You know how much that means? Simple. You don't have to give me, you know, $5,000. Now, you could if you wanted to. I mean, just simple. Both of you looked at me when I walked in. Hey, how are you? Hospitality? Teach children to do that. You and I know, man, how many people do you and I know that you say, man, that's just one precious person. I think Lydia was just one precious person. I'm stuck on Lydia. I better get a move on you. So then he goes down. He, he's, he's up here and he passes through Amphip- Amphipolis and other areas. He goes to Thessalonica, Paul's letter to the church at the Thessalonians. All right. I love First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians because there's a lot in there, but he talks primarily about Jesus coming in the clouds. First Thessalonians chapter four, writing to those believers, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died. And he begins to tell us what? that there's not one single person who has ever died that's dead. And this year, this doctrine of lost things comes out of his encounter. By the way, the Thessalonians were quite difficult. 
They were argumentative. They were just hard people to minister to. So he leaves there and he goes to a place called Berea. And when he gets to Berea, everybody there is so much more happy and they receive the gospel. When he leaves Berea, he travels all the way down the Aegean Sea and he comes into the city of Athens. Some of you guys have been to Athens. It's quite a city. Of course, it's got the Parthenon, the Areopagus, Mars Hill. It's, it's an amazing place. The Acropolis. This is the home of the Olympic Games and all the other kinds of things. I preached in Athens about two weeks ago. And Paul walks into the city and what does he run into? Gods of every kind. I mean, people are worshiping the God of this and the God of that. And there are all these strange groups like the Epicureans and the Stoics. These were like philosophical people that believed that there was, like the Epicureans believed that God was everywhere, but that he was so high up that he was not interested in the affairs of mankind. Which means you can do anything you want to. The Stoics, a brand of that, which mean that they could, both the Epicureans and the Stoics could give themselves over to excessive pleasure. If I told you that one of the things that Paul dealt with in Athens was the excessiveness of a people who worshipped unknown gods and followed after pleasure. All they wanted to do was satisfy their own lusts, the lust of the flesh. They even erected a monument to an unknown God. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to make sure that they covered all bases and they didn't offend some God that they might leave out of the economy. And Paul gets up on the Areopagus, on the Mount of Ares, otherwise known as Mars Hill. It's just like this big rock that sits down at the bottom of the Parthenon, the Areopagus. And I stood there just a couple of days ago and I preached from that mountain with people everywhere. And what did he do? He gets up there and he defends the gospel. If you study these things, one of the greatest apologetics. What's the doc? What's an apologetic? It's a defense of. And he defended the gospel. And how did he defend it? Well, it's a beautiful thing to study. He talked to the people. He became one of them. He got involved in what they were doing. Then he shared about God. Then he shared about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the final analysis, he said, I want you to give your life to Christ. Well, when Paul left Athens, now guys, you've got to watch me here. You come down from Athens and he went to Corinth. This is called the Peloponnese. All right. Corinth is southern Greece. So again, I'm telling you, I was standing there a week or so ago, a week and a half ago, I preached in Corinth at the exact place where Paul spoke. That's where I preached. I stood at the exact spot 
And it's one of those archaeological places that even pagans agree Paul stood there. It's one of those places in Europe, like in Israel, where you know definitively it's not sort of about here because all the ruins that you stand in are all exactly the way Paul describes them. Now watch this. This here, this sea over here, the Aegean Sea, all right, on this side, you've got the Adriatic Sea over this side. And you have this thin strip of land in between Athens and Corinth. It's a, it's a tiny strip of land. So what, here's what they did. The Romans came in about 30 B.C., and they just destroyed it. Then Julius Caesar rebuilt everything. Then what happened is they decided that they were going to shortcut for shipping. They were going to make it possible between the Isthmus, which is the piece joining the mainland of Greece and Corinth. They cut like a canal through it. Back in Paul's day, they used to drag the boats from this side of the old world, where am I? From this side of the old world on the Aegean side to this side, which was the new world. This is all the old world. That is all the new world going to Italy. All right? You can see here the boot of Italy and Sicily. I'm going to be there in just a moment. But what they did was they eventually dug a canal. Today, in fact, when we were standing there, on the little bridge going over the canal, huge boats were coming way down. If I, I take out my picture and show you pictures of these boats going through. It's about 200 miles to sail all around the Peloponnese of Corinth. So back in Paul's time, sailors from all these boats and merchants in this area would all pass here and they would stop off in the town or the city of Corinth. Well, I hate to tell you, guess what happened? Prostitution. Immorality. Fornication. Bad behavior. And it even got into the temple. They were called temple prostitutes. Everybody was going ballistic. And Corinth... This town here, right on the edge of the canal, very quickly deteriorated into one of the most sin-sick places in that entire region. And Paul arrived there with the gospel. And Paul began to preach. You know that he was there for about a year and a half, the book of Acts tells us. They spent a long time there. Paul began to preach. They didn't like it. So you know what they did? They hauled him up at a place near the temple where all the magistrates and all the judges and everybody would gather to pass decrees and laws for the town. It was the place of authority. It was called the Bema seat, B-E-M-A, which the Bible calls the judgment seat. And they got up there to condemn Paul. And if they had condemned Paul, they would have taken him right there 
and would have stoned him to death. But the governor of the region intervened and vindicated Paul and told him to go. He didn't even open his mouth. All right, fast forward to the book of Corinthians. Paul later writes to the Corinthians and he says, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that we might be judged according to what we have done, both good and bad. And this is why we Christians do what we do. Isn't that fantastic? Probably one of my favorite pictures in my phone right now is a picture of me standing right there at the beamer seat. It, the beamer is actually, it's a, it's a rock. It's the same rock that was there all that time. It's like a big white rock that stands out there like a, like a kind of a mixed up pulpit almost. And that's where the judges of Corinth would stand and pass judgment on the people. Hear court cases, issue laws and regulations for the people and their behavior. And Paul was brought to that same place and he was vindicated at the judgment seat. So Paul leaves there. Okay. He meets, by the way, a couple. Does anybody remember the name of the couple that he met there? Priscilla and Aquila. That's where he met Priscilla and Aquila. By the way, they were refugees. They were from Rome. They fled Roman oppression. They were also tent makers. What was Paul when he grew up? By profession. He was a tent maker. Why is that significant? Priscilla and Aquila welcomed Paul as fellow tent makers. How do you think all these merchants lived around Corinth? They all lived in tents. That was how you lived. That was your condo. Everybody lived in tents in those days. And they were tent makers. By the way, one of the greatest things you and I can do as believers is to identify with those that we minister. Just think about that for a minute. You want to witness to somebody? You want to be able to love on somebody? Let's find something to identify with them. Find a common ground. The things that you do, things that you like to do, the places that you've been. So Paul Cutting a long story short, he sends Priscilla and Aquila ahead. He goes across the sea. Everybody here in Ephesus, which is in Turkey, wants him to come there. He says, nope, I'll come back later on. And I'm cutting a long story short. He gets on his boat. He comes down here and eventually sails all the way back down. And he lands at Caesarea Maritima, which is just between Tel Aviv today and Haifa. So every time you go to Israel or you come to Israel with me and Rob, you would land with us in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, 
is a big secular city right on the Mediterranean Ocean. And right next to it at Tel Aviv is the town of Joppa, J-O-P-P-A. Over there they call it Jaffa, all right? In Palestinian, J-A-F-F-A. That is the home of Jonah. That's where Jonah boarded a ship, went out. Remember, he ended up in the belly of a whale, had the stinkiest prayer meeting recorded in history. All right? Was thrown up on a beach and God used him in a wonderful way and so it goes on and on. Just trying to make some connections here for you. Okay? So he lands here at Caesarea, etc. Well, we come to the third missionary journey and I'm going to be real quick on this one, guys. All right? He encounters all that he does and on the third missionary journey, he takes off and he goes back again through Pamphylia, through these areas like through Heriopolis and he ends up at Ephesus. So when was I in Ephesus? About two weeks ago. Actually, when you go to Ephesus, you land at a place called Kusadasi. K-U-S-A-D-A-S-I. Kusadasi. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to remember these. All right. And when you get there and then you go a little bit inland to the town of Ephesus. By the way, Ephesus today is one of the most incredibly still intact town is from the time of Paul. So when you walk in there, it's phenomenal, guys. If you, to see all the buildings and the library of Celsus there and all the artifacts, and then you go into the big arena, I mean, this massive arena where the Ephesian riot took place. And the problem with the Ephesian Christians is they worship the God called Artemis. By the way, the Greek name of Artemis was Diana, the God of fertility, okay? The God of children, the God of protection. So here's what happened, guys, all right? They loved Artemis. They all worshiped Artemis. In fact, in Ephesus in Paul's day, everybody, the big thing to walk around and do was say, great is Artemis, great is Artemis. Well, Paul arrived there and said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus is great. <laughs> God is king. He began to preach. Man, some of those people, they didn't like it one bit because their business was getting threatened. Every time a believer became a believer, they didn't want to buy another statue of Artemis. They would make statues of Artemis, all right? And eventually, these business people got up and said, listen, our business is being hurt so much by this idiot telling everybody about Jesus. And so they began to riot, and they all went into the big Roman arena, which is amazing. That's where I stood and preached a couple of days ago and waxed eloquently. Man, I preached there, there were thousands of people walking around. I had a gospel invitation. I said, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice, I want you to know that I love you today. And I want you to know that God loves you far more than I could ever do. Jesus died for you on the cross and he invites you to give your heart and life to him today. 
And you may be walking by on the streets of Ephesus right now. And I may be standing up here in this great temple artifice talking about the God called Artemis. But what I do want you to know is that Jesus loves you. This I know because the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus does love me. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you too. I wonder what it must have been like for Paul. They almost got him there. He finally got let out of there. And of course, we know what happened after that. He went back down this way and he came up to this place called, he, he left Ephesus and he took a very quick trip back into Macedonian Greece, all the way down here to Corinth. Then he came back. Only little thing I'll, I'll dispute on this map. He, he didn't cross on his last third journey from Corinth back to Ephesus. He went back up here, and you will read in the book of Acts chapter 18, I believe, that he crossed from here back to Troas. That's where he went across, to Troas. And then he came back through Mytilene, Chios. He ended up in Miletus, and he wrote a letter to the leaders, the Ephesian elders. You know what he said to them? He said, watch out, people. Because as soon as I leave, savage wolves are going to come in. And they're going to try to do everything to destroy the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Be on your way. Can I just add something, guys? Is anything I've learned about studying Paul? That old devil, man, the roaring lion. He's got your number. He's got my number. He wants you. Tell me, can you give me one reason to suggest why the devil would be happy if you've given your heart? Not one. That's what Paul was saying. Well, we know what happens. He got there, he went to cars, he went to roads. By the way, if you're going to go over there, Come with me. Go to Rhodes, man. Shopping is great. <laughs> I can't believe Rhodes. Rhodes is the most fantastic little Greek island, man. You go in there and it has all these, well, a lot of places there. They have little cobbled stones and little stalls and alleyways. And the food, the food around here, man, that's why I look like I Fantastic stuff, man. It really is. That's one thing I love. And by the way, I love it in, in Israel too, man. The food is fantastic. Anyway, so he gets on his, on his bicycle here and he paddles all the way back here and he comes in here. Let's get to his final journey. 
final journey. So Paul goes to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, they go after him. Everybody comes after him. He goes up onto the Temple Mount. I want you to think of last things, the doctrine of last things. <laughs> What's the Temple Mount? Everybody know the picture of Jerusalem with the big golden dome? Wish some of you had come with us over there. It's unbelievable, man. Now occupied the seat of Satan. Where is the golden dome? On the Temple Mount. Top of Mount Moriah. What's Mount Moriah? Same mountain where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him, obeying God. But not even that which was so precious to Abraham, his only son, that's precious, could take the place of the preciousness of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only one who could be the sacrifice for our sin. Right? So Paul goes to the Temple Mount, and here comes Satan. If we had time for the next 25 weeks, I'd show you the parallels between this and the book of Revelation. Here comes Satan. And man, they try to eat his lunch. He eventually comes here and he says, listen, man, and he gets, he goes all the way up here to Caesarea and he meet, he encounters, he's put into prison there basically and he encounters three rulers, Agrippa, then Festus, and, and King Agrippa is the last one and King Agrippa is the one who says to him, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. He defends the gospel. He shares his testimony but in that process, when he's under house arrest, he says, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't touch me. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And the Roman citizens had every right to appeal to Caesar. Do you know it was against Roman law to flog or to imprison a Roman citizen? Don't you just think about this. These guys were all walking on tender hooks. One of the reasons why Paul was put under house arrest initially, they were all dead scared because he was a Roman citizen. And you had to be a pretty bad dude if you were a Roman to be flogged and thrown into a real prison. And all this guy did was tell people about Jesus and heal the sick. But they hated God that much. So he appealed to Caesar and he begins his final journey and he leaves here and he sails all the way around Cyprus and Myra, goes back past Rhodes. He comes down to the island of Crete there, tries to tell everybody that, listen, man, we can't leave. There's too much problem. The boat's taking too much water. People say to him, no way. So they begin to sail here to the island Malta. Most of you will recognize Malta from the Second World War and from a whole lot of our history books that we've studied. When he gets here to Malta, the ship runs on ground, wrecks. He goes inside. He gets bitten by a snake, a poisonous snake. He's supposed to die, but he lives and everybody's in awe 
over him. They can't understand how come this man keeps on being delivered. He gets on his boat and he lands here in Syracuse. Not, that's not New York, by the way. That's on the island of Sicily. And then he sails here through the strait, comes up to Regium. Right, Regium is kind of on the toenail, the big toenail of the foot. And it's literally, I've stood right there. I'm telling you, it's right on the toenail. That's where it is. So you don't want to get ingrown toenails when you're in Regium. And then he sailed here through the Straits of Messina. When you sail through the Straits of Messina, it's like you look this side and here's Italy and this side is Sicily, which of course is also Italy. I mean, it's narrow. It's so narrow they've got to put pilots onto the ships, cruise ships that go through there. When he gets through there, he sails further up in the Tyranian Sea and he lands here at Puteoli. Puteoli is right next to Naples. Florida, Naples, not Naples, Florida. Naples, Italy, all right, which is the home of what? Vesuvius, which is the great volcanic region, Pompeii which was flattened by the volcano. He lands right there and he's greeted by some people. He goes up, there's a place called the Three Taverns and he ends up in Rome where they put him into house arrest for two years. At the end of the two years, are you ready for this? We know the end of his two years was around about AD 61. Paul was executed in A.D. 68. What happened between A.D. 61 and A.D. 68? Well, you have to go and read the letters that he wrote during that period of time. And there were three particular letters that he wrote between A.D. 62 and A.D. 67, just before his execution. The first one he wrote was 1 Timothy. And he wrote 1 Timothy most likely from Corinth. So we know when he got out of house arrest, Paul went traveling around this region for about seven years. We know that because of the dating of the manuscripts of the Epistles that were written. The second book that he wrote was Titus. Go and read Titus. It's filled with names, dates, and places. The third and final book he wrote. I'm not going to put you to the test. What was the final book that Paul wrote? Second Timothy. And Paul wrote Second Timothy we know. Perhaps just days before they took Paul and Peter outside the walls of Rome. How did Paul die? He was beheaded with a sword. How did Peter die? He was crucified upside down. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to close with this. 
Go to 2 Timothy. I'm going to give you a little while to get there. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the last thing Paul said just before he gave his life for Jesus. He said a lot of things. He said in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, he will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing, Jesus is coming back. I give you this charge. Preach the word of God. That's what you've been doing. This word. Because this word, when you preach it in season and out of season, what does it do? It corrects, rebukes, and encourages with great patience, careful instruction. For the time will come. You ready for this, guys? The time will come when people will no longer put up with sound doctrine, but will gather to suit themselves around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want them to say. Look at me for just a minute. Sound like today at all? You know how many people are saying, listen, man, God doesn't mind. Are you kidding me? How can you say this? What's wrong with this? And even if it is, God loves everybody. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, God loves everybody. The final analysis doesn't matter or does it? Time will come when people will gather around themselves because of their itching ears and will demand that teachers say what they want to hear that suits them. You ever heard somebody, I'm, I, guys, I'm, please, please hear what I'm saying. You ever heard anybody say, man, I'm going to go and join that church because they're going to say what I want to hear. I, I don't need all of that. Look at verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Let's go down to verse 6. Here's Paul, okay? Ready? For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Wow. You know, I've looked at that 
Paul knew this is a man who had been stoned many times, thrown to prison, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, cast out, maligned, criticized, you know. I'm, I'm, we, don't, we don't have that kind of stuff at that length, that extreme in our country. Do you know, I, I man, just before I left to come back last week, I went down into the same prison where Paul was most likely in, in Rome. If you've been to Rome, right there at the Roman Forum, right there at the Arch of Titus, not far from the Colosseum, and I climbed down into the dungeon, Rob. Way down there. And I quoted that. And I saw this man, you know, who came to know Jesus. He said, Lord, here I am. And a faithful group of people. They just loved him and supported him and sent him out all over the place. And all the encouragers that got around him. Man, I haven't even talked about them. Barnabas and Silas and John Mark and Luke. Luke was with him most time. I mean, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke did. Luke was with him all the time. All these incredible people. Thank you for being those people, man. That's who you are. You can feel it in here. And this man stood there and said, I'm already poured out. And then he made that statement. I have fought the fight. I've run the race. Now there is stored up for me a crown of righteousness. Wow. Wow. Rob's grandfather, Bumper, my wife's father, wonderful man of God like my dad. We, we were privileged to have two dads who just loved the Lord Jesus. That's where I grew up, you know. What more could I ask for? You know, in 2021, I think, 2020, 2021, Bumper, the age of 93, had preached all his life and he got COVID. He got so sick, we couldn't even go and see him. This is Nana, who's, in, who's now still alive with us, her husband, my father-in-law. On that last day, they called us, said he's not going to make it. We couldn't see him, and they brought him to hospice. And we stood outside a glass door with all these masks and couldn't even go in there and give him a hug. And he looked at us through this glass window. And he was trying so hard to say something. And then he said, I've fought the good fight, and I've run the race. And he lifted up his hand. And he saluted us. 
And just shortly thereafter, the angels came and picked up Bumper, just carried him into the presence of Jesus. <laughs> you know what happened to Paul is still happening today. It's happening in your life. Yeah, I come back from some of these things and I just can't wait to go back again. But you know, I had the same couldn't wait to go back again as I did coming here to Vintage tonight. No different. No different. You can go all over the world today and because of the beauty of Jesus, you'll find people like you. And there's an instant fellowship in the gospel. And nobody knew it better than Paul the apostle. <laughs> so I've loved studying that and loved listening to Rob preach on that. And every time I do study it, like every time I go to Israel, it's like I've never been there. It's like I thought I'd actually studied this, taught this, preached on this. <laughs> I thought I got it. I think I know about it. I've been to something and then I do it again and it's as fresh as the first time I ever did it. And then I think about the Christmas story, how that I've had a few Christmases in my life. And every time I read the story about the shepherds, it's just as fresh as I read it the first time. It's just like Jesus, isn't it? You see, the Lord Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I'm so glad that he came into my life. I'm so glad he's given me a son and a daughter-in-law like Rob and Annabeth who serve the Lord Jesus and Greg and Abby and Shelley and Dan. But I'm so thankful for you, man. And thanks for taking a little journey with me tonight. <laughs> thanks for getting in the boat with me. Thanks for leaving Antioch with me. And thanks for sticking around all the way until the sword falls. With one exception. There's not one single person who's ever died that's dead. Because Paul said to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, as Rob comes up here tonight, just thank you for a sweet time of fellowship. You're a wonderful God. We love you, we thank you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.